When I was in Israel, my son Anthony got me laughing. I don't like these real, real deep laughs, you know, from the belly. He just had me going, and you can't like, you can't like even breathe, you know. That's just so much fun. But if we did that all the time, we, we'd probably pass out because you can't breathe. But I wanted to say uh, something about Israel real quick. Um, that, <clears throat> yeah, things are kind of heating up over there, and and uh, from even from last week till this week, we see. You know, there's been some more rocket ta- attacks into Beersheba. Um, there have been more mortars. There have been other rocket attacks in other towns and cities. And, of course, you I'm sure you heard, you didn't hear much about those, but you heard about the, the, uh, the bomb that went off in Jerusalem, uh, which caused loss of life and all kinds of other problems. And, and so it's a very, it's a difficult place to be in, but, it, you know, it's the whole picture, the whole Middle East, you know, kind of on, is starting to boil. And you're like, wow, what is going on here? Jordan uh, uh, also starting to, you see things happening in Jordan. And Jordan is like, you know, we, were, we drove to the south of Israel and you pretty much just look and there are the hills of Jordan. You look across, we, we went to this place in the south and you look across the Red Sea and you see Jordan there, the city of Aqaba and, and uh, the, 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 the Red Sea, the Dead Sea as well. No, this is the Red Sea. The Dead Sea, you look across and you see Jordan as well. But you have the Dead Sea and you go further south to get to the Red Sea. So we were spent some time at the Red Sea. We actually went up to the border of Egypt uh, because uh, right there, uh, there's a little tiny little sliver there where, the, where the, the crossing is. And we talked to some of, the, some of the guards there. They weren't real talkative to us. We got more information from some taxi drivers there. Um, but we were at the border of Egypt, and again, it was pretty calm when we were there, but, but things just, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, six months ago, a year ago, who would have known all this stuff would be going on? And Israel is right in the middle of it. They're all, sur- you know, surrounded by Israel. Uh, or excuse me, they're all, Israel surrounded by all of these nations. Anyways, um, in review... We looked at the fig tree in chapter 21 um, in verses 18 and following that Jesus came to the fig tree and he was looking for something. What was he looking for? Fruit. He was looking for fruit and there, were noth- there was nothing on it except for leaves. Right. I just want to see if you're with me today. There was this, you know, this religion but no relationship. There was something that looked like there should be and there should have been fruit there. Uh, and again, as, the, as uh, if you, you read about fig trees, that they, when the leaves are out, there should be some kind of fruit there. And it's like the fig newtons without the figs. You know, is there, and the question applied to you and I, is there fruit in our lives? Is there that fruit of the Spirit that, that's produced by God's hand and His, His Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives? Um, again, I've been thinking about those that fruit, all, you know, all week that, you know, this prayer, God, work in me to bring forth that, that love and that joy and that peace, that patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should memorize those. I had to really work at memorizing those. But we should memorize them because we need to know that they're not there. So we'll know what to pray that God would work those in our lives and bring forth fruit. And fruit trees do take a lot of work. They do take a lot of pruning, and, and we don't really like the pruning stuff that happens, but, but God wants to, to bring forth fruit in our lives. 
And it comes by being surrendered. And as we saw in John 15, as we remain in him or abide in him, we actually live our lives in him, he'll bring forth that fruit. Then we saw also this uh, subject of prayer and uh, this trusting and believing prayer that God still moves mountains, and I really believe he does in answer to prayer. He moves mountains in answer to prayer. Today, the message uh, that I've entitled, uh, the message uh, is entitled, You Are Not the Boss of Me. (laughs) And any of you who have have, uh, dealt with children at all, uh, that's a familiar phrase, right? You're not the boss of me. I I think kids, uh, you know, they have uh, some kind of school they go to to learn some of these phrases, because you certainly didn't teach that to your kid or to the kid you were. You're not the boss of me. It's, it's this idea of, of, you know, who do you think you are? You know, it's, it's all throughout life. Who do you think you are, we say. You can't do that. We say that to the policeman. Who do you think you are? You can't, me, you can't tell me to do that, we say to the parent. Or some of us older, 29-year-olds, says, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, we say. You got a problem with that, we say to our boss. And what does he say? <laughs> we say, I don't, I don't feel like paying taxes this year to the IRS. Sorry to remind you that it's very soon. Soon and very soon, we're going to pay... The, I don't care what you say or did. I'm the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Heard that before? Someone said these words, said our world is fast becoming a madhouse and the inmates are trying to run the asylum. There was a guy named Timothy Leary. Some of you have heard of him. Some of you have not. Depends on how old you are. He... Is the words attributed to him are question authority, right? You've seen the bumper stickers? We don't know if he really said it, but, but if he did, he's also the guy who wrote Turn On, Tune In, and Drop Out, who also advocated the use of LSD for expansion of your mind and capabilities. There's different kinds of authority. What I want to talk to you, to you about, and, and as we look at this passage here, is authority. And there are different kinds of authorities authority, different spheres of authority, but it's an, it's an important part of life that we need to understand, that we need to um, have God help us with, and ultimately, ultimately, this thing of authority deals with our relationship to God. Ultimately, it deals with our relationship to God. Of course, and you're thinking, well, you know, there are abuses of authority, and there is authoritarianism. Yes, we know about that. James Dobson said that that authority is God-ordained, but authoritarianism and raw power in almost all forms is dangerous. We know that there are abuses. We know that there are things that are are, are, uh, not right, but rejecting all authority because of that is not a good idea. To get an attitude, well, all authority is bad because there's this, you know, look what this guy did. Look what that uh, person did. They abused the authority. This attitude of rejecting all authority, it's just wrong, and it, and it will hurt us. It will hurt us in the end. 
So in our passage today, we see these people, they came certainly, definitely with an attitude, and they came to Jesus with this attitude. Look at verse 23. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, excuse me, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? It appears that they actually interrupted his teaching interrupted him while he was speaking, and that was kind of rude. I would think, from my position, I'm thinking, that's kind of rude. By what authority are you doing these things? What are the things that he did just recently? Of course, you know, it's really the whole picture that we're looking at, but, but recently he, he cleared the temple, right? He was teaching and he was preaching. It, it said in the, in, earlier in the book of Matthew that he taught as one who had what? Authority. There was authority coming out of his teaching, just out of his, his, the words that he would say. But we know it was much more than that. It was the things that he did. It was the miracles that he did. It was the life that he lived. He didn't have to come in and say, listen, I got authority. As soon as you have to come and do that, you got no authority. As soon as you have to come and try to force people and, and tell them what they're going to do, you got nothing. But it was something that he had. It was something that he had intrinsically as part of who he was. Now, these guys that came along to him, you, you, you have to look at them, their motives. And you think about this attitude that they had. And I, I think someone pointed this out as I was reading about this passage, is that, that they thought and they believed, and in one sense they were the authorities. See, these were the religious leaders, the the chief priests, see, the elders, those that were in positions of authority. And so they come to Jesus now with this attitude and like, you know, who do you think you are? Do you not know who we are? You're not the boss of us, is what they're saying. I think they were more concerned with their own power and their own authority than they were submitting to to the Son of God who was there in front of them, right in front of their eyes, as we'll see in a minute. A.W. Tozer, uh, the pastor and writer, uh, said these words. He says, the essence of sin is rebellion against divine authority. The essence of sin is the rebellion against divine authority. And it really is, too, this, this defiance of authority. Ultimately, defiance of authority... The ultimate defiance of authority, I should say, is defying the authority of God. That's the, that's the bottom line of all this here. There is submission to authority in life, and, and we need to deal with it. We need to learn about it. We need to go with it and, and understand it. And, and, and if we can't submit to the people who we see, how is it that we will ever submit to people who we can't see, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We learn it. When you think about this, we learn it, or we should learn it from when we're young. It really begins in the home. It really should begin in the home. This whole concept of authority and, and submitting and, and uh, those above us. Adrian Rogers, the pastor, uh, who you can still hear on WRV, though he did pass away, he tells about the man who made his sons work in the cornfields while their 
friends spent the afternoon at the swimming hole and someone scolded the father saying, why do you make those, those boys work so hard? You don't need all that corn. And the wise father rep replied, sir, I'm not raising corn, I'm raising boys. There's something about, something about the home and the things that we need to learn. Some of you are still in this place where you're raising children. Charles Colson said that the family is the most basic unit of government. And as the first community to which a person is attached and the first authority under which a person learns to live, the family establishes society's most basic values. He also said, well, let me get to that in a minute. I just want to say this about the home. You know, we, we, our society is pretty fractured, and our homes have become attacked in a lot of different ways. And many of us, myself included, grew up in a broken home where we didn't learn a lot of these things. And I have to say, I had to learn a lot of these things later in life. And I have to say, I had to learn them the hard way. Hitting your head against the wall, find out finding out that that really wasn't the right thing to say to your boss. That really wasn't the right attitude to have to that policeman who then can do what he needs to do. Someone said the time to teach obedience to authorities in the playpen instead of the state pen. But Charles Colson said God has ordained three institutions in the ordering... Three institutions for the ordering society, the family for the propagation of life, the state for the preservation of life, and the church for the proclamation of the gospel. He said these are not just voluntary associations that people can join or not as they see fit. They are organic sources of authority for restraining evil and humanizing society. There's a purpose in it. Not just so that somebody could have power, but, but that society would, uh, the, the evil in society would be restrained and that we would be, be humanized and, and become better people. The Duke of Windsor, who I don't really don't know who he is, but <clears throat> the name sounds important, but he said these words. He said, the thing that impresses, impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. Oops, I've seen it. You're not the boss of me. Okay, well, well what should we do then? Billy Graham, you all know who he is, right? He said the parent who does not teach his child to obey is being cruel to him. The habit of implicit obedience to parental authority is the foundation of good citizenship. And more than that, it is the foundation of subjection to God's authority. We begin to learn these things in the home. They begin in the home. And then they affect us how, how we relate to our bosses, relate to people around us, uh, uh, government authorities, uh, uh, people like policemen. But ultimately, it gets back to the authority of Jesus. That's what this passage is about. All that's kind of a, a, a you know, a introduction. Really, what it boils down to is the authority of Jesus. They came and they questioned his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You can almost hear the attitude in their words. But I want to I point uh, a few verses out to you because this is like, this is like the most important thing 
about our relationship with God and, and where it begins. So let's, let's turn, first of all, to the end of the gospel, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verse 18, that Jesus came to them. And look at these words that he said. He said, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. This is Jesus, the Savior. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This, is, this, this theme is really throughout the whole Bible, but we're just going to look at a few passages. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. Remember what we're looking at here, these religious leaders who could not recognize who was standing in front of them, saying, who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are? You're not the boss of us. But Paul the Apostle writes in Ephesians chapter 1 about who it is that we're talking about here, Jesus. In verse 20, it says that God exerted in Christ this power, it says in verse 19, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. Jesus, the authority of Jesus. One more passage here, actually two more. In Colossians, ahead, two books. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, <clears throat> let's start in verse 9, important um, verse there, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over what? Every power and authority. He's the head over every power and authority. Again, he was standing right there in front of them. And they were questioning it. And really their motives were wrong and their attitude was bad. And, and you say, okay, that was them and we're different, but are we any different? We get attitudes. You know, from, again, from when we're children and we're, we're kicking against the authorities that are around us, the teacher. We don't like the teachers. We don't like what they're telling us to do. We don't want to do what our boss wants us to do. We think we know better. I've been there and done that. We think we know better than what our boss wants us to do. And, and you know what? We might know better, but he's still the boss. And I found this out the hard way. You do what the boss has to do because he's the boss. And that's what the boss's job is to, to make decisions and ask you to do certain things. And you kick against it and fight against it. And what do you do? You just get yourself all worked up. You make tension and, and battles that go on. But I think as believers, we, we need to learn and, and we need to pray. So this authority of Jesus is, is are, we, are, we, are we willing to submit to his authority in, in our lives and in our hearts and in our world and in our homes? 
this one who has all authority, the head over every authority. In the books of Second Peter and also in Jude, there, there, there talks there about, about individuals who there would be judgment coming for those who despise authority and, and, and also those who reject authority. And again, yes, there are abuses and there are situations, but you know what? I can very clearly and definitively say that you're not going to find that with Jesus, the Son of God, where he abuses his authority. Turn back one book to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And verse 9 through 11. You've heard these verses many times, but think about them now in terms of who he is. Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is that is big. That's powerful. Do you see that happening in our world today? Is this, is this true of every person that you see around us today? Certainly not. You see, now we have a choice. We have a choice to bow and submit and surrender to His authority. But there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, this word Lord means one over. This word Lord means master, ruler, the one that you submit to. If you want to talk about in terms of boss, we don't call our bosses Lord, but in a sense, they're, you know, they're over us. But, but Jesus, there will come a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Much better, though, to do it now. Much better to do it here. Much, much better to do it before we stand before him because that is the, the time of judgment when those that, that have decided, made that choice freely, will go and, and spend eternity with him. And those that, that will see him for who he is at that time will spend eternity separated from him. That's what the Bible teaches. Every knee should bow at the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul understood that. Paul was kicking against the goads. Paul was fighting against that authority of Jesus. And Paul came to that place where on the road to Damascus, he had this encounter with Jesus Christ and and he surrendered. And he realized who he was, who Jesus was. And and from that time on, and and these are some words that we read here. And he's quoting, of course, out of the Old Testament, some of these uh, verses here in Philippians At the name of Jesus. Let's turn back to Matthew 21. At the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. I was thinking about the songs that we sing and and the worship that we have. It's really all about that. It's all about calling Him Lord. It's all about surrendering and and submitting to His authority that that He is over us. But we are kind of hard headed, aren't we, sometimes? I don't know about you. The passage I remember reading in the Old Testament says, you know, about being a rebel from birth. 
And, and you know, I, I kind of relate to that in some ways, but God has, has worked in my life in so many different ways and, and taught me so many things. I'm just learning now. I'm, I'm 29 as well, and I'm, I'm learning things now about how things work. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus' answer to them, Jesus replied, he says, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Said John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? This was a common kind of debating style. You'd answer the question with a question and you'd kind of go back and forth like this. But really, it was a very good question that he asked because the answer to his question would also answer their question, right? If they answered correctly. Was it from heaven, the baptism of John? Was it from heaven or was it from men? Was it just a man-made thing? Did Jesus just come along and did what he wanted to do? Or was there truly power from heaven coming through Jesus Christ. They, they discussed it. Look at verse 25. They discussed it among themselves. They, had, they called a conference, you know, and they had their guest speakers, and they did all this stuff, and, and committees, and they got together, and, and well, you know, how are we going to deal with this? And, and they said, if we, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. I just wonder, I mean, when you think about, and you look at the, the, what they said and the, and the way they dealt with this, did they really want to know the truth? Did they really want to submit if he was truly who he said he was? I think there was such rebellion. There was just this rebellion in their hearts. It was so clear. And so verse 27, they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. And then, then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. We don't know. Just plead ignorance. That's helpful. If you just avoid the issue, it will go away. Right? Isn't that the way life works? Avoid the issue and it will go away. We don't know. We don't want to talk about it. If we, don't, if we don't think about it, you know, I'm just going to live my life. I'm, uh, you know, I've heard about Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my life, and maybe I'll deal with it someday. Maybe I won't, but it'll go away. But you know what? This truth will never go away. The truth that Jesus Christ is Lord will never go away. It will be there when we stand before him. It will be there from all eternity that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. One commentator, Barclay, said this, they gave the lamest of all lame answers. I like that. The lamest of all lame answers. They said, we do not know. If, if ever men stood self-condemned, they stood self-condemned. They ought to have known it was their duty to know. It was part of the duty of the Sanhedrin, of which they were members, to distinguish between true and false prophets. It was their job. They should have known. They studied the Scripture. They were the spiritual leaders. They were the authorities at that time. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. 
he goes on from there to this parable that we're going to look at in, in relation. He kind of, and, and it kind of comes out of what, he's, what has just occurred. He says, what do you think, in verse 28? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Two sons. The first said, I don't want to. I won't. But then he changes his mind, it says, and he repents. He changes direction and then he goes and does what the father wanted. But the second one, he just said, I will. But he didn't go. See the difference here? Now, neither of these two were perfect. You know, the first one, he really wasn't perfect. He says, I won't. And he was fighting against it, but he, he came around and he finally got to it. The second one just said, I will, and he never went. Neither of them were perfect, but at least the first one was honest. There's something about it, this honesty that I see here in this, in this parable that Jesus uh, said that the second one was not honest. He was dishonest. He was a, a pretender. He was a fake. Which one? Which one, Jesus said? Which one, Jesus said? Which of the two did what his father wanted? And the first, they answered. Which of the two did what was right in the end? The first. I think two things I see here in relation to this authority is one that, that we need to get real and be honest. We need to get real and we need to be honest. You know, rather than just pretending to be something that we're not. If you've got a problem with Jesus, talk to him about it. Tell him what you really think. I think he can handle it. He's the, if he's the authority who we've been just looking at and, and reading these passages about, he can handle it. He's not going to, you know, freak out. But if you just pretend and, and, and avoid and, 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 you know, look the other way, it's not going to go away. But secondly, it doesn't matter what we say, it's what we do in the end. It doesn't matter what we say, it matters what we do in the end. They said, oh, I'm going to go. But did they go in the end? No, they didn't. We can say, you know, yeah, Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord. We read earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, right? People say, Jesus is Lord, right? Oh, you call me Lord, Lord, but you, what? You don't do what I say, so I'm not really Lord. You can say the words, but is there really some transformation? It's a, it's, I believe it's a transformation inside of us that, that, that affects how we live our lives because we realize that He is Lord, that He is who He said He was. Look at the last part of verse 31. <clears throat> said, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Those that they disdained and looked down upon were turning to Jesus because they got it. They realized, this is the guy. This is the one. He is the one. 
Yeah, their first response might have been, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Forget about it. I got things I, got things I need to do, and I'm, you know, I'm rebellious and hard-headed. But then they got it, and they turned, and it says they repented. They believed him, and, they, and, and, and their lives were turned around completely. But these religious ones, these spiritual ones, you know, we, we got it together. No need for repentance, but ultimately there was a need for repentance. There was this rebellious attitude, this hard heart against God Almighty. Let me read that again. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, that's the bottom line for you and I, whether we're, we're willing now, here, today, in this life to repent and turn and bow our knee before him. Are we willing? Are we just saying to Jesus and to others, you're not the boss of me. Do we have that rebellious kind of, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. To our own peril. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word It's a challenging word because we're stubborn, we're sinful, we are rebellious. It's us. It's not just those spiritual leaders. It's us that the word of God is confronting. It's me. It's each one of us here this morning that we have shaken our fists at you, that we have uh, closed our hearts, that we have uh, said no, that we have refused to bow our knee and and humble ourselves before you, the Almighty God. But this morning, Lord, we've heard and we we see and, and your word declares so clearly that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings and, and our choice matters. What we choose, that we choose to, to bow our knee before you. The most important decision we ever make in this life to surrender and submit to the Almighty God. Father, I hope and pray that each one of us has made that decision. Yeah, we still kind of get messed up and we still kind of do our thing and shake our fists from time to time, but, but ultimately our place is on the, our knees and on our face before you. And so I pray, God, that, that each person here has, has made that decision. Perhaps there are some here just hearing this for the first time. I pray for them this morning. They need to make that decision. I pray that their hearts would be open and they'd put aside any attitude or any rebellion or any, any self-determination uh, to simply say yes to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, simply do it. Simply say yes, Lord. I bow bow my knee, I confess that you are Lord. God, you see our hearts here this morning. You know us inside and out. God, that we might live before you as Lord. Father, the world is a a dangerous place. It's a scary place, Lord, but, but in you, we can do all things with your strength. We can make it. We can survive knowing that you are with us, that you are Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you.
that we got the right one. And it's you, Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.